Hey, what's up? Um, so we have another podcast, and for those that did not catch any of the news last Friday or the hints from Van Pelt and I a week ago, uh, I'm staying with ESPN for at least another year, and I'm also with Bill Simmons and The Ringer, and I can talk a little bit about uh, the pilot and the loose term of, of being hired. So that was the whole reason I moved out to L.A. was to be a television writer and in the process because it is extremely hard and I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, it's not like I didn't want to not, you know, it wasn't like I never wanted to do sports ever again. So it all sort of worked when I would say probably nine months ago, it didn't feel like it was going to work. So Saruti, you can, um, cause you know me probably at this point better than anybody and at least know the, the work side of, of the story. I think you have it right. And I'm sure, you know, look, it's, it's a great place to work, but it's a gossipy place to work too. So everybody's always asking what the hell's going on. And I always think it's weird too when people reach out to me that I've never really been that close with and they'll ask me, Hey, what are you doing? Or, Hey, I heard this, but that's not super important. Um, what is important is that I've resigned. And I would say that, you know, nine months ago when they were like, we're, we're going to put your show to three to six, and I did a lot of this stuff. So I don't want to tur- make this turn into like, it makes me sound. I just want everybody to know what the hell's going on. Um, when they were going to move my show to three to six and I was going to do it with Will, I never had any issue doing it with Will. I did have an issue with Will being at New York and doing it, you know, periodically from New York because I knew, like, I did the first two plus years of the show with Van Pelt that way, and the show's just not as good. You're not feeding off of each other. I think split shows are ridiculous, but sometimes they're uh, a necessity. But I, I definitely didn't want to do that. And like, look, I wasn't super happy. I was living in Connecticut, and I had this other thing that I wanted to do and write TV. And I felt like if I were at least, you know, if my radio show were going from, you know, the afternoon where we did actually pretty good numbers. And then moving to three to six and, you know, the resources, it was, it was pretty obvious like, Hey, we're not sending a national championship game. You're not going to the Super Bowl. You're not going to be doing any of those things. Like the writing was on the wall. So I was like, okay, so there's not really anything I can do here. And I, I was offered another contract at three years and I could have done a new deal or added it on. I mean, I could have been like four years if I wanted to. And, you know, I felt like, okay, well, if, if this is what's happening, can we do like some other little thing? Can I do? A little bit of this. Can I do some more NBA thing? I'm like, it's not even about the money. It could be about the money, but if it isn't about the money, can we have like this one thing that shows that I'm growing? Like some of so many other opinion people, voices at our network that are growing and, and getting opportunities. I just want one of those and that wasn't going to happen. And so when I turned it down, I, one long term guy was like, up oh, flats the new up. And I just went like, oh, okay, whatever, man. You know, like I, that was super frustrating. And it wasn't from a management person that said that to me at all. So, uh, I thought I was done. I was like, that was pretty much it. And they're like, this isn't a negotiation. I'm like, yep, I know. I've, you know, do you want to sleep on it? Nope, I don't. I've been sleeping on it for months. And this is, I just need to change. I want to try something different. So that was moving out to LA. That was flirting with writing, even though the project that I tried to do three years ago wasn't even close. It was poorly executed. There's a million different reasons. Um, and look, it's just really, really hard. So in the last, I don't know, eight months now, I've written three pilots. Uh, one, I was told sucked for the most part, or at least it wasn't the worst written thing. It just wasn't a great show. It was a bad pitch. But that actually got me hired to write what I'm doing now, which I finished a pilot on a show that I can't tell you about, but everybody likes that one. And then I did this other very, you know, non- adaptation thing where I just wrote a much darker drama with this concept, which again, I can't get too into, um, that people like, but now I'm writing the Bible for that. And I thought writing pilots is hard, but this Bible stuff is brutal because I'm writing out episodes. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to like, 
I'm trying to summarize an episode in season two, episode eight, when it's like all I've done is written the pilot, even though I have the concept down and kind of where the story would go. But anybody that's writing is laughing, going, yeah, you're right, it blows. Or other people are saying, um, you know, this is uh, like I have no idea what you're talking about. This isn't that exciting. So anyway, um, after I said no to the extension in ESPN, I – I probably thought it was over. I think everybody just kind of thought this was over and like, has like, what do you need me to? And they were like, you know, can you work till Christmas? I was like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. And then I did the, all the goodbye stuff. My dad comes on and it was great. It was really cool. And it was a, you know, a big boy decision where it was like, you can't, once you leave here, start going like, oh man, I, you know, I always wanted to work out and all that kind of stuff. But I did say, I go, you know, look, if, if I'm under contract for this amount of time and the reason I was able to leave is because it wasn't, let's have the show moved and, um, I was like, why don't I do a podcast, you know? So that way I don't go dark for nine months. And then, you know, you guys are able to recruit something on, on the payment out. And then it turned into, you know, like four or five months later, you know, Connor Shell, who is, you know, important guy at our company and a guy that I respect a ton. And I think is, is creative as hell. And, you know, I've, I've built a little bit of a relationship with him, uh, the last couple of years where we talked and he's like, you know, do you think you have any interest of, of ever having this work out and resigning? And if you do, do you really think you're just not going to do anything except for a podcast for nine months and then we're going to want to do a new deal with you? And I was like, well, no, I can imagine you wouldn't want to do that. So we talked and I said, look, I'll put faith into you that I'll do stuff that you ask me to do and uh, I'll I'll do a bunch of that stuff. So that was coming back for those hoop stream shows with Jacoby and taping those. That was doing the draft. That was coming back and doing some other stuff. So then right before um, August rolled around, I wasn't really quite sure. And, you know, I had a couple – friends say, wait a minute, you're going to get on a plane and move to New York City for nine days and live in a hotel and do six get-ups and then you might be done? Like, is that really the best way to do it? I go, well, you know, look, they asked me in July. I reached out to Greeny and in July, you know, they said, okay, here are these six shows. And I just said yes to all of them. And I go, I said yes to them. I said I would do them. And yeah, it'd be a little annoying that I I burn a week and a half in New York City with for no reason if nothing works out. But I also said I was going to do them. So you get on the plane and you do the shows. And the shows went great. Um, I, I look, I, I, you guys know me. If I, if I suck at stuff, I usually am like, eh, it wasn't that great. I thought the shows were great. I thought it was a lot of fun. I had fun working with everybody. Um, I, obviously it's not what I'm hired to do to be on Get Up or any of that stuff. But, you know, for those that, some that seem to doubt, uh, my abilities, I just watch those shows and go, okay, like what, what could you possibly say about me now? That was great on the show. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it because I was. What's up? And, uh, that week, it all kind of came together, and Simmons had also reached out and said, is there a way, do you think we could do some of this? And by itself, um, it wasn't going to work, but collectively, and everybody got on the same page and said, hey, all right, so Ryan's going to do this now. You know, I make less money from ESPN. I still get to live in Manhattan Beach. I'm doing a Ringer podcast, which is dual threat for football, college, and pro, and then once football's over, I'm going to be Bill's co-host once a week. He does three week for the Bill Simmons pod. And then I think it's going to be every Monday. We'll be just talking NBA all the way through July. I'll be doing this podcast every week. And it is kind of crazy that it all sort of worked out. And yeah, I mean, there's part of me that I'm sure I'll go, you know, maybe I should just have taken all the money and lived in Connecticut and just kept grinding away three to six or, you know, things can change. And sometimes it's better just, hey, sign the contract, take the money. And then if the show doesn't work out, just ask off the show uh, and then figure it out, you know, a lot of times I've told other people, hey, just sign the contract, take the money, worry about it later, just just get the money locked in. But I didn't want to do that. I just I just didn't because I knew 
uh, if I wasn't happy in the radio, because the radio shows every day, it's three hours every day. And I, I wasn't super pumped towards the end of one to four anyway. So, uh, yeah, so Bill that, and then this allows me with that schedule to keep doing the writing stuff. And, you know, I try to tell everyone I'm not naive enough to think that this is okay. Well, Hey, I'm going to move to LA and I got here months later than I wanted to because my house wasn't ready. And because we all know the drape situation, um, you know, I, it's not going to be, Oh, quiet. You know, like check it out, check out these, these scripts. Like we're still is the best. We're going to hire them. We're going to buy your scripts. You know, it it just doesn't really work that way. And I don't even know if it would work. You know, if you were a young dude and you're like, I want to be an actor, like you'd want to be DiCaprio and not Eric Roberts, but Eric Roberts is still making money too. So, um, I think, I don't know what he's been in recently. You know, you never know. Uh, I don't know why I went Eric Roberts, but the point is, is that it could mean I do something great or I do the best version of the stuff that I'm trying to do, or it means I get picked up by a show staff and get to write a little bit. And with this schedule, I'll be able to do that because I didn't want to be a dude that was like, oh, I want to write. Ooh, I'm going to be a TV guy and then not do it. Uh, I did it. Like I moved out here. That's what I'm trying to do. And I would say I'm kind of like on phase two of the whole thing. So that's what happened. That's all the stuff I want to get to last week. I wasn't able to because none of the stuff was agreed to yet, even though maybe loosely it was because it all happened while I was in New York where I was on the phone and we're like, are we going to figure this all out? And then in 48 hours, it all got figured out, which is crazy because when I got on the plane at that point, I felt like there was a pretty good chance I wasn't going to do anything and I was going to take the next four months and just keep writing. And I probably was just sold my podcast on its own on the side, which would have meant no Saruti. So that's really the biggest reason why I stuck around. Obviously, I think uh, you know, like I said, now we've gotten some some people being like, "Hey, you know, you're doing a, you're doing two pods now. Like, what's kind of going on?" But I, you know, I, and we've talked about this. I just think they're they're going to be different. Like, you're you're one with they're the going to be so different is yeah. is pretty hardcore football, and that's great. And that's I think I think it'll be good because what are you going to use all that useless Pac-12 knowledge for? You know. <laughs> um, you know, Pat 12 after dark for you. Like this one's going to be, listen, we're going to have a guest a week. It's going to be more about your personal life and just things that you're interested in. So I think they're, you know, it's good. It's, it's space for two things. And I, overall, I just think the move is better for you, man. Like I think you just, you know, you needed to change it up. And I think this is the perfect situation for you. So I think because we're too close, like, I don't know if there was any follow-ups there. If you had. No, nah, man, I think you hit it on, I hit the nail on the head. Like I, I, I there was no animosity towards like, like I said, like you and Will got along. The show probably would have been great, but I just think for you, you just needed to do something different. And I'm, man, I'm happy for you that you're loving LA. And, you know, I know you had a lot of people move out of Connecticut and you just needed to do something different. And like, yeah, I, all my friends left. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was the day. Like, other I didn't me, have it. was t- like, what are you doing? <laughs> I didn't have a ton of friends there to begin with. And, you know, look, I make the joke about not have, having any friends. I actually do have a, a ton of friends. I really do. And I'm really lucky that I have, you know, probably 20 to 30 people that I could call and I don't, you know, you don't want to be that needy emotional friend. That's like, I need someone to talk to. Like, so I'm not saying that I do that, but I have a lot of friends that I could stay at their house for a weekend. It'd be totally normal. And their wives like me and the kids, you know what I mean? Like I do actually have a lot of pockets of friends. The problem is I don't live near any of them. And you know, you start looking at like, like there's some people that I know that go, you know what we realized? We just get sick of not being near our friends. So we moved. Yeah. We moved our kids. We changed jobs. And now we all live in the same kind of area and we get to spend time with our closest friends and lifelong friends. Like people we've been friends with for 20 years. And I, I admire that, you know, and like, if I were really going to do this, I probably would have moved to Denver to be closer to this pocket of friends that I love and I'm, I'm super close with. But I also had a surf lesson yesterday afternoon. 
So, you know, what's up now? Softboard, 10 feet. Your boy isn't exactly carving it up. But, you know, I figured I might as well try to figure this whole thing out and see if I can get good at it. Um, it is, you know, a couple people probably call me a Joey. That's all right. Uh, you got to start somewhere. But is I get up like every time. What's that? What is that, like a noob? Yeah, Joey's like really old. Gleaming the Cube. Have you even seen Gleaming the Cube? Or do you know, even know what Gleaming the Cube is? That is, yeah. I've heard the term Joey, but I didn't really, I don't know, I don't really know what it was. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really know that there's anything else to it. I think the funniest thing about the whole deal is like, it never was, it was never nasty unless there were people, you know, talking, you know, what about me? And I didn't ever, it never got back to me, but usually that stuff gets back to me. Um, it was always kind of like, Hey, I know where you guys are coming from. This is where I'm coming from. And this is kind of where my head's at. And then, you know, I'm out and you know, I just moved into this house and I've been in it for two months and I didn't want to really leave. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes the next year. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm kind of happy about the whole thing. And I think everybody, I think everybody should be happy about the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. And like, I think the cool thing is too, like now you're going to, you're going to see Rosillo on a million different places, like more than it was every day. It was one to four for years and years and years. Now you're going to be all over the place doing what college football, NBA, whatever. So, well, I don't know what's going to happen with the TV thing. Like, there's a couple TV shows that I'd said, yeah, let's do that. Um, I'm not going to be doing any radio, but, uh, I don't, I don't know what that'll mean. Like, I don't know. Like, there's all these kind of moving parts. So, you know, I'm, but it was I'm always sure. funny. Like, it was like, what is Rusillo? Like, he's a radio host, but also like he does NBA stuff and is he, is he an insider? I don't know. Like, he also has this really, you know, huge college football knowledge, like base, like, what the heck is this guy? I think there was a lot of confusion of like what exactly, like what thing to place you in. Cause like it's very easy to like, okay, this, he's an NFL insider. She's a NBA person, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you had all these, you wore all these different hats and I don't think anybody really knew what to do with you. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is you would think that actually this will be the best way to go about it, have all these abilities. And, and it's actually, I mean, it's not my fault. It's, it's people's fault that couldn't figure it out. So I don't. I don't apologize for that at all, but it is funny because there was one exec who's no longer, hasn't been at ESPN for a long time, but he, he just sat down. He was super condescending to me and he's like, I don't know what you are. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know what I am. And he's like, you know, Colin's this and Colin is, is, is the uncle that comes over and tells crazy stories and he's that. And then, you know, Beetle is, Beetle's the, the cute girl next door who's a little sassy and can fight back. And it was like, you had to have a very specific identifiable thing. And I was like, you know, I'm just a guy that puts the work in and knows a ton of stuff, but also has this relatable thing that feels like one of your buddies that made it. He's like, ah, he's like, Jeff Ross is the roast master. He roasts people. And then <laughs> that's all he should do is just, just, just be the, the Jeff Ross roast master. And what I didn't really realize, I was like, this is so stupid. This is so stupid. And it's so like executive-y that it's like, just figure it out. You know what I mean? Like it's, I ha I do what I'm doing. I'm capable of doing all these different things. It's up to you to figure out how to best utilize it. That's not my fault. It's not my fault I'm better than better at like more than one thing. So this is sounding a little egotistical and I don't mean to do all this kind of stuff, but um I don't know, man. I was just trying to be totally straightforward about everything that's going on, but it, it isn't there's no real the only drama was getting on the plane for New York going, Are you gonna end up regretting this <laughs> and not going to France? for a week or are you going 
to be like, this is the best thing I could have done in the last nine months. And it ended up probably being the best thing I could have done in the last nine months. And this podcast going as well as it is. So there you go. Super successful. Super crazy numbers. Subscribe, download, rate, review, and hopefully we'll start getting on a little, uh, little, a few more platforms. Okay. We're going to talk with Mort. Uh, my favorite thing, NFL contracts, the announced one and then the one that actually is real. Odell signed for at the time, five years, 95 million. But we left out the convenient part that this year is 8.4 million. So we started to figure that out a little bit later and that five million of the 90 is incentive based. So we don't really know what those incentives are yet. I'm sure they'll get out over the next day or two. So what we thought could possibly be 20 million a year, but not the average annual salary. Well, at one point, Odell will be averaging 20 million a year. And that's the most important thing. And for everybody that says, Oh, what about Antonio Brown? Well, when he signs his deal in 17, and I think it was the beginning of 17 and here we are, Odell, maybe what 18 months later, I'd have to double check the sign date for Brown and when it was agreed to. Odell's the newest guy in an NFL cap that does not get nearly enough credit for the cap going up, but we're going to talk with Mort and sort this out. When I broke down all the numbers on the Odell contract, you know, because I went through it a little bit, and at first it was like, okay, is it 95? And then you're like, okay, it's 5 million incentives. Um, his average annual salary doesn't get him to like what was first reported, but none of this is new with the contracts, but it's the addition to the last deal or last year of the deal, the 8.4 million. I, the whole point that I'm making here is I think there's two things more. One is, do you think the league will ever get to a point where they want to actually make this easier to follow or just have, have some language in there that not everything is so creative, where it's a little bit more straightforward of the years, the terms, and the guaranteed money? Because a lot of times I think what's reported is always wrong, and then it takes like two days to sift through what's accurate here. Well, listen, I, and I'm not going to indict any member of the media, uh, but I can remember John Zarnecki, who now works behind the scenes, uh, you know, with Fox Sports on the NFL side. John was a fellow writer, longtime writer, uh, the uh, you know, at the former uh, you know, uh, L.A. Herald Examiner, other papers out there. Uh, we worked together at the National Sports Daily, which nobody will remember. The late Frank DeFord started it up. He hired uh, me and John was one of our guys too. But, you know, we once, uh, we once got into, uh, uh, some, some pretty good knuckle fights, uh, bare, bare knuckle, uh, fights with, with sports agents who basically wanted to give us the headline, uh, or wanted to give us the story first, if we would give them the headline of, Oh, Steve Young's going to make $40 million with the LA express of the USFL. And you know, only to discover that what they were doing was giving you deceptive numbers, so they get the headline. Those numbers remain embedded in the public's mind. And by the way, part of the public are future uh, NFL players who are in college, and they use those sports clippings to 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 recruit their college clients. So I don't put it on the NFL teams. I put it on us as journalists to sit there and demand. The, the accurate numbers or cross check them or vaguely refer to them as it's a, it's a, it's a six year contract, uh, in the area of, you know, of, of $98 million, which is averages out to $16.4 million. Uh, so I, I really don't think it's the NFL's issue. I think it's a, it's a journalistic issue. And, I understand that there's always a race to be first and something that guys like me and John Zarnacki and other uh, reporters from that 
era didn't have to deal with was real-time journalism. Right. Yeah, you're right. It, it was a little different. And I, I don't think I'm doing it to knock anybody either. Like, it, it isn't. I just think it's just always kind of funny with us because when the numbers first came through, we're going, oh, my gosh, he's at $20 million a year. And then you're like, well, no, but there's a three-year period where that's what it'll be. I think the bigger thing is this, is that, you know, is is this a risk at all um, considering Odell, not the player, uh, maybe more the injury last year, and I think everybody praises Odell for kind of handling this in a very mature way where he was showing up, he was in contact, he wasn't playing in the preseason, which I don't think anybody has a problem with that. But like, how would you, how do you think the reaction is around the league from other people that look at this kind of contract? Well, listen, I think they do recognize that Odell is a uniquely talented player. I think they believe that Pat Shermer, the head coach, handled this extremely well after he was named the Giants coach uh, after the season, following the, the Viking season, in terms of uh, connecting with Odell Beckham Jr., new general manager Dave Gettleman. And the message basically to, to Odell was, hey, show the good faith of being here in the offseason, being here during the OTAs, and being here in preseason, and let us make sure you're healthy and making progress and, and you're working hard, and we'll get to your contract. Now, you know, you did mention, I will say this. Generally, uh, what we, when we look at contracts, always been told is, and I've been told this by NFL teams too, by the way, don't look at the six-year amount. Look at the first right. three years. Well, in this case, the first three years is $20 million a year. Uh, but then Julio Jones got all his guaranteed money, just short of $16 million, uh, first three years, and then the last three years had no guaranteed money, and you, and, and you saw what happened after three years. Now, as far as Odell, is this an investment that is wise? Okay, he's listen, being durable, we always say avail, uh, 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 availability is uh, just as important as any ability, uh, especially if you're gifted. But uh, it's a, it's a high-risk injury sport. The Giants know what they're getting into skill-wise. I mean, he's he's up there. I mean, there's few, few. He's probably. I would say he's as skilled as any receiver in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. Like and I don't. It, I don't think there's and, any. And, oh, he, by the way. Oh, by the way. For, from his standpoint, like if he wanted to play hardball and say, "I really want more money and make this contract look better," I, I I do think this. I think he understands the wisdom of the fact that he's in New York. So if he gets shorted a little bit on some of the money. You know, he's got a chance if things fall right for him in terms of performance, staying healthy, and the Giants do well, he's going to make a pretty good penny off the field, too. Okay, so this, is, this isn't this is going to be as, as concise a question, and I think if I were doing a radio segment, I could I could sell this, but I wouldn't really believe it, and that's, that's the offensive players holding out. Like the Julio Jones, just the mere threat of it got him about, what, like a $3 million bump, and it worked for him. For Odell... Yeah, but because the, with a promise that they'll renegotiate after the season. Right, but I mean, all he had to do was kind of just go, hey, what's up here? And they gave him three when they, they didn't really have to, but that, okay, that's fine. Right. Um, and I'm not, trust me here, I am not knocking the player, not in this sport, okay? Um, right. Odell, it works, but again, this is this weird language with like really productive guys coming off the rookie contract where you have this fifth-year option thing that they all get mad about. Um, Gurley got money probably a year before he should have, but they did it anyway. Uh, Bobby Wagner kind of talked about how it felt like offensive players are getting their money and defensive players aren't, and also referencing his teammate in Earl Thomas. Right. 
But then you know, look at Le'Veon Bell and you go, well, he's not getting paid, but he may be looking at something so astronomical and, and landscape changing that that's a deal that can't get done. So that takes us to Khalil Mack, who's as important to probably anybody of his his unit as a defensive player for the Raiders, and then Aaron Donald, what they're trying to do. So is there anything to this, you think, of the offensive players getting hooked up, or is this more about the specific nature of what the requests are when we're talking about two defensive players or maybe even three with Thomas Mack and Donald? Yeah, and uh, I think that we – let's wait and see what happens when those contracts come in. Aaron Donald's going to get done and maybe done by the end of this week or early next week. And what's what's the holdup there then? What, what, what's the holdup then? Because it's you obvious know, everybody knows how great he is. An honest difference of you know, the guarantee to money uh, and, and structure of contract. Uh, kind of things you were talking about when we in the beginning when we addressed Odell's contract so really the structure of the contract uh, I think there's been earnest efforts by both sides and of course you know the desire to say okay he deserves to be the highest paid you know, it's time for for the top defensive players to be paid quarterback money only quarterback money now starts at 25 million dollars basically and so these guys are trying to get close to the 20 million dollar mark oh by the way in the meantime the salary cap is about to go up to 200 million so in terms of percentage of cap these guys are getting maybe what the same guys used to get when they were making 14 or $13 million a year. But I do believe the most difficult of these contracts, and don't forget Von Miller got himself a heck of a contract, the most difficult that I'm reading, Adam Schefter is reading in terms of uh, behind the scenes, appears to be Khalil Mack. And there's a part of me, and I, I haven't gotten the answer to it, uh, makes me think that there, there could be a cash issue here. When you guarantee X amount of dollars, this is a little trick that the owners put in the collective bargaining agreement that makes some of the guaranteed money a little funny, which is that anytime you guarantee any amount of money, say it's $50 million or $80 million, that money has to go from that owner's bank account into escrow immediately as opposed to collecting its own interest in their own bank account and paid out over on a different scheduled payment. And the Raiders have never been a cash-rich team. They haven't moved to Las Vegas yet. They haven't gotten the money. And, you know, actually, they've got to pay a fee to move to Las Vegas. The reason Jamarcus Russell, I'm not saying Jamarcus Russell would have been a bust anyway, Ryan. Uh, I, I believe that because of the lack of work ethic. But right. he signed. People forget he didn't sign till. The start of the season, he missed all of the off season and and training camp, and never really got with the program because the Raiders were not a cash rich team, and I they're still not a cash rich team because they don't have the suites and the stadium and the money coming in from other resources. Yeah, the TV money comes in, but even that comes in on a different schedule in terms of when they when they deposit the money into your bank. So, I, I, Khalil Mack to me is uh, by all accounts. Is, seems to be the most problematic. And even Schefter and I were talking about this yesterday. You know, he, he, he really thinks there's serious doubt whether he'll be there at the start of the season. So do you think he's going to get traded then? Because this is, you know, now we're doing this update on whether or not we're seeing him at airports and other NFL se- uh, cities. Yeah, I, I don't uh, think he'll get traded. Uh, I think You don't? Certainly. Uh, I mean, well, let me say this. I don't only because... I guess I still come from that that uh, mindset that when you, you you know the idea in this league is to collect good players and 
especially if the good players become great players, which is what Khalil Mack has, has become. And, uh, and you can remember our, our former colleague, Merrill Hodge, and every, some people laughing at him when he was saying Khalil Mack should be the first pick in the draft the year Houston took Jadavian Clowney. Uh, and, and, he, and he showed us on video as to why. But, you know, hey, Khalil Mack was from the University of Buffalo, and he didn't get the hype. And it turned out that Merrill Hodge was, was right, to be honest with you. Uh, so, and now it's like, okay, it's time to pay. I'm, I, by the way, I was never one who was big on the rookie wage scale. I thought the rookie wage scale was unsophisticated, uh, that it didn't, uh, it didn't uh, put enough leverage in the players' hands because in a way, uh, NFL teams had three years minimum, and, and by the way, in Khalil Mack's case, four years, because that's how many years he played at Buffalo, to really use the minor league of the NFL, i.e. NCAA football, and evaluate these players, and then have four or five months before the draft to further evaluate them and determine whether what they were worth. Uh, my objection was specifically to... Uh, some of the defensive positions, but especially to the running back position. Because the idea with the running backs are, hey, they're gonna, we're going to use them for five years, four years, and then we're done with them. And, and their careers generally peak at the age 27. And in the meantime, they really didn't make huge money when they, when they should have. So I think, I think part, of, part of the issue was that everybody was for the rookie wage scale, I just think there could have been a smarter model. And there can be a smarter model, I think, overall for the NFL. And we'll see what happens in the next labor agreement in 2020. I want to talk um, rookie quarterbacks and then maybe tee up on, I always love if I can get a good story out of you. But, you know, all the years that I worked with Danny Cannell, uh, and I love Danny, but, like, I feel like he's the only pro athlete that I've ever hung out with that never wanted to play. And he would, he would, he would <laughs> yeah, he talk about that feeling, yeah. He would always talk about like wishing. Danny's smarter though. He's the son of a doctor. Come on. That's right. That's right. But he's like when we'd argue about Garoppolo, he'd be like, "Why not just ride it out?" I'd be like, "Because a lot of guys actually want to play pro football at some point. Like if you spent your whole life dreaming of playing in the NFL, you don't want to sit behind Brady for a decade and then start it up at 32." Okay. So we would get into these arguments about this kind of stuff, and then ultimately we'd always talk about rookie quarterbacks every year, right? And we know that the history of this is pretty clear. I think the number was of the 27 seven first round picks and however many last drafts at quarterback like 24 ended up being the starter by the end of the season and so now we're doing this thing with Baker and like even a Josh Allen Lamar's more about Flacco being in front of him that okay well you know it'd be better if Baker sat out the entire year I think there's some benefit to sitting but I also don't know how you get better at playing the position without ever playing it and I would want my rookie quarterback to play at some point during his rookie season so he had something to think about over the course of the offseason instead of the anxiety of never actually playing the position until his second year. I also think if you're going to be great, you're going to be great and you're going to figure it out, and it's not going to be predicated strictly on how you're handled, whereas if you started week one, you can't be great. If you started week nine, that means you will be great. I think the great quarterback just finds a way to be great. Is there an anecdote, a story that you can think about from coaches or guys that you respect about you know just how somebody was handled as a young quarterback that either worked or didn't work and, and something you've always remembered? Uh, listen, there, there were there's two that kind of jump out, but uh, you know, one is the uh, obvious David Carr with the Houston Texans. Uh, there really were people who thought that he was a very physically gifted and athletic quarterback, and yet he got beat up so much that it did impact him, and it impacted him physically and, and with confidence. I mean, 
I mean, you saw the Buffalo game the other day. Uh, maybe you saw it. The, the yeah, with Josh. Game yeah. That, yeah, it's against Cincinnati. I don't care. Listen, I don't care if, if Sam Darnold had been back there. It would have been embarrassing for Sam Darnold. It would have been embarrassing for Deshaun Watson. And so David, that happened to David Carr, and I think it ruined his season. I think that we forget football actually is, believe it or not, a team sport. Tom Brady really wasn't Tom Brady until they'd already won a couple of Super Bowls. They had a defense. They had, you know, they ran the ball well. And Tom did have a certain poise about him. I always thought he was underdrafted because I, I watched him beat Alabama uh, down. I think it was the Orange Bowl uh, when yeah. he was in Michigan. Uh, and, and so well, you're right. He was he was that, coddled as as a player. Like you know, I think it's been so long now. Like in the beginning with the Pats, they didn't really throw the ball that much. They didn't let him throw it down the field. Like he didn't develop that stuff until later on. He was he was a game manager in the very beginning. Those those first well maybe not so much the second year, but definitely the first year in that playoff run. And by the way, yeah, Carr, yeah, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. No, you go. Carr was sacked. You're right, seventy six times his rookie year, which doesn't count how many times he was hit and pressured. And and and, and then then uh, so then we go to the other one that I that I disagreed with, uh, although I didn't disagree loudly. It was Carson Palmer. I think Carson had five years at USC. Uh, you know, either way, there were a minimum of four years. And the Bengals just flat out made the decision he was going to sit one year behind John Kidna. And John Kidna truly was a great role model for Carson Palmer. But listen, physically, Carson Palmer, uh, and Carson Palmer was ready to play big-time football. And uh, I, I, I didn't see necessarily the benefit in that, although you've never heard Carson complain about it. And it's true that Kitna was, you know, showed him how to play. But I think if you talk to most quarterbacks, they tell they will tell you that, you, hey, you don't really learn, you know, the speed of the game. You know, like Josh Allen the other day, first of all, they're overwhelmed. The Buffalo Bills are. Their offensive line is overwhelmed by what is the strength of the Bengals, which is their defensive line. One of the best in the league, by the way. Uh, the Bengals defensive line. And the speed of the game, Josh Allen even admitted, wow, it was a lot different. Well, the Bills have gone through training camp, you know, not always working them with the ones because they kind of have a plan for them. Well, you really can't adjust to the speed of the game unless you are actually playing the game. And if you think the guy is so mentally weak, uh, then you pick the wrong guy. And, and the Bills don't believe that about Josh Allen. But I think that there, you have to game plan around that. And I think the concern is, like, say, in Buffalo Bills' case, and I think Josh Allen, like, I think all the quarterbacks have a chance to be good. Everybody thinks there has to be a bust in this class. I think they, they all of them have a chance to be good quarterbacks. I think a couple of them have a chance to be great. I think Josh Allen's one of the ones that has a chance to be great because of the abilities. But – they do have to put the team around him. And right now, it is a team that's offensive line is shaky. The receivers aren't that good. But, you know, I, he's not a mentally weak guy. And I think for the most part, I think you have to play during your rookie season. And that's how your rookie season, that's how you're going to learn. And it may not be pretty. Peyton Manning, we talked about it uh, last year. Again, when we did an interview with him, there were, he was 3-13. and 13. He still holds the record for rookie interceptions. He's begging and praying for somebody to break that record, but he's not sure it will be. But he, but he, he can remember, you know, he started to lose a little bit of confidence, you know, 10 or 11 games into it. And Jim Mora, uh, the older Jim Mora, who was the coach of the Colts at the time, 
uh, told him, he says, there's nothing you can do that will, that will uh, compel me to take you out of the game. I'm, not, I'm not, never taking you out of the game. And Peyton said when he told him that, uh, things just started to click. And the more he saw, the better he adjusted. And he became, uh, went on to become what we believe is going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, obviously. Uh, so I, I, I would lean toward the side of, hey, these guys got to play this year. You know, whether it's from game one or not, they got to play. When the Jets drafted Sam Darnold, by the way, uh, and, and I said this on, on TV the morning after, they drafted him to start from day one. They've had this so-called competition. No, I mean, you know, like if he had truly flopped and practiced and all that stuff, then maybe it'd be different. But they, he was always going to start from day one. And I think it's a good thing. I think Sam can handle it mentally and emotionally. Now, do you think they trade Teddy Bridgewater then? I think, uh, I think the uh, yeah, listen, I think they would like to trade Teddy Bridgewater, even though they lo- really like, uh, you know, they really love him, actually. But he's a one-year contract. He could make up to $5 million this year. And I think that the reason they are, you know, this past game, they, they wanted Teddy to look good. You know, they want him all to look good, just to increase his trade value. Then it's just a matter of, okay, there's nobody out there looking for a starting quarterback, so who's it going to be? You know, you're trading for a backup quarterback who's on a one-year contract. But, you know, I'm going to use an example of one team. If I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars and I got that team, that defense, that running game, uh, and, you know, the, and I know they lost Mark Lee as a receiver, but they got some good receivers there. And uh, I, I'm sitting there saying, okay, I got Cody Kessler as my backup, Blake Bortles as my starter. I'd rather have Teddy Bridgewater, you know. So I think the Jets' intent is let's, let's trade Teddy Bridgewater. Then it's a matter of who will step up here. And I think the Jets were wait, waiting to make sure that in a weird way that a Teddy Bridgewater doesn't happen at the end of the, at end of the preseason, which was being, you know, in practice of all things, untouched Teddy Bridgewater, his knee collapsed. And they needed a quarterback traded for Sam Bradford, which forced Carson Wentz into playing right away for the Philadelphia Eagles. Boy, that worked out okay, I think. Uh, not, you know, we were all sorry for Teddy, but yes, I think the Jets' intent is to trade uh, Teddy Bridgewater if they can get an offer for him, and they may they may wait into the season. But, but I have I have little doubt that Sam Darnold starting a year for the Jets. Yeah, right. I I think that is been actually the most impressive thing. Even Darnold in his last game, like. You know, throwing the ball away, going through a couple progressions, and just seeing—you know—he's—he's he's showing. Um, you know, there's a reason why. What two years ago, that first year with USC, where he just took over, and you're like, my God, with this guy. And then he had some picks. Yeah, in the it, last it, year, it, 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 it was it was impressive. Now, I think Sam Darnold's ceiling is not as high as some of the other guys, but I think he's got a certain poise about him, and I love his personality. I think he's like Eli Manning in many ways. His personality is perfect for New York. And Jeremy Bates, their offensive coordinator, has done a great job with making the game what I would say is kind of easy for Sam. And that's the idea for coaches. You know, make, make the game as easy as you can for these rookie, rookie quarterbacks. Um, I don't know how, how much, like, you know, if you think of all the years where you think about the Patriots and go, all right, are they going to have enough? And when they don't have enough at receiving, 
uh, whether it's it's tight ends or wide receivers, yeah. he he finds a way. Um, the offensive line, you could say right now, feels thin for New England entering the season, but he's a guy that finds a way. Like he's just a quarterback who's and he's done this for years. He's not going to take a beating back there. He just won't. Uh, he's going to figure it out. He's going to find a way to get rid of the football. But do you have New England? And I don't know if you've done Super Bowl picks or anything like that, but I guess I'll probably just ask you at some point. But do you have New England coming out of the AFC again? Uh, I have not made Super Bowl picks, but I, 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 I guarantee you that they are certainly on the tip of my tongue uh, when I actually try to express, my, express that because, uh, number one, Bill Belichick hasn't gone anywhere. Tom Brady hasn't gone anywhere. Josh McDaniels almost went somewhere but hasn't. He's the offensive coordinator. Uh, I think that, uh, yeah, listen, the, losing some receivers and they don't have that Julian Edelman for the first four games because of suspension. But, listen, when you watch them play, uh, listen, James White, Rex Burke, these backs, they'll, they'll deploy those guys, and, and Tom will get the ball out of his hand. I think the Trent Brown trade from the 49ers, I think it was a gift from Kyle Shanahan to the Bill Belichick as part of the uh, trade that got the 49ers Jimmy Garoppolo, even though they were months apart. Wow. Uh, and I, I, th- I think Trent Brown – Left tackle, uh, from what I hear, of course, you got a great line coach in Dante Scarnecchia. The best. Uh, is going to be a surprise to, to, to people. And so I think that they'll figure it out. And, oh, by the way, Belichick's philosophy has always been is that there's preseason, which he considers important, but I think he feels like the first four games of the regular season is a little bit of advanced preseason. So he's not going to panic uh, if there is, Two and two, uh, you know. Of course, last year there were three and one with Brady sitting out four games with, with the suspension. So, uh, I think that I think uh, I have a tendency to lean toward them because divisionally, I don't see I see the money in the division, and then you know then it's a matter of can you get home field advantage? And we do have a belief that the NFC still is deeper than the AFC. There are some threats to them. I mean, Jacksonville being one of them, like I mentioned, but we're still talking about. You know, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, and uh, and and, the, and I think the offensive line will be okay, and they'll get Edelman back. They got Gronkowski, and the defense will play solid. Yeah, it's tough because when I go through the AFC NFC stuff, I go, okay, well, other than like I'm supposed to put Jacksonville third, and I know everybody loves Houston now, but we'll have to see how Deshaun plays in his second year. Um, you know, maybe San Diego, you know, does Denver get enough out of Keenum to get that defense back to where it was? And, you know, I feel like Denver's drop off defensively last year had more to do with just giving up on an offense. The defense is like, this is brutal. Um, yeah, but it just, it feels like Pittsburgh or New England. And every time I want to pick Pittsburgh, I just think about that team. And I think that team is an incredibly talented team. I think they've at times been more talented than New England and they just can't. They always just always seem to have nonsense. I think they have a lot of me guys, and I I just think they're a weird collection of guys that can't get out of their own way when they should they should at least have two more Super Bowl appearances. I feel like they're like a tough attitude for me to adopt to say, yeah, you know what, I'm going to trust New England or excuse me, I'll trust Pittsburgh with Tomlin and all these characters that always have something to say and are always talking about themselves or we're better than these guys and they just don't back it up enough even though I think they're probably more talented on paper today. Well, you know, except the fact that when I talk to other teams, uh, evaluators who have the Steelers on the schedule, 
they think the Steelers have real problems on defense. I mean, they, they've got some good, they've got some good players, but not enough. And I think that they think the Steelers' defense, which, by the way, in the past we used to always think Steelers' defense. No, you're right. It's been an offensive team. It's a throw the ball deep team with Levy. You know, yeah. it's, it's nuts. And the, and the Baltimore Ravens, listen, the Baltimore Ravens feel like, hey, we went nine and seven. We blew a game at the end of last year. We had a lot of injuries, a lot of injuries. And I think the Baltimore Ravens are a team that we need to watch. You know, uh, the, the Bengals may be a team we need to kind of keep one eye open on. And that the Houston Texans, yes. But I think there's a little bit of worry there uh, internally just about whether they're deep enough. They, they can't have injuries like they've had, uh, certainly in recent years. Jacksonville is, is uh, I think Jacksonville is legit. But uh, obviously the quarterback position, they, they, manage, they have managed their way around that. Uh, as far as Denver, I, I don't see Denver being a factor. I'm really intrigued by the Chargers. The Kansas City Chiefs, don't think their de- defense is there, but Man, do they have explosive weapons. I like, I like teams with explosive players, and there's no question the Chiefs have explosive players. And uh, So th- this doesn't feel like there's a lot of contenders. And I actually, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I, I'm discounting the Steelers because of their de- defense. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, how do you think it ends with Belichick? How do you think it's, like, what do you think will be the end game there? I, I think that Belichick, in his own mind, knows there's an end game, and whether it's at the end of this year or next year, I think it's coming. Uh, but uh, that's simply an opinion, and maybe talking to some people who think they know, but you know they, they can't say they heard it from Belichick. So that would be so. You think that's because of the McDaniel's thing? Like the McDaniel's thing, I feel like in a way is ignored. Like, oh yeah, he's already done. Oh no, he's not. Like they couldn't have told him, hey, in five years maybe Bill will move to Nantucket full time. Like it, if you're McDaniel's, I'd ha- I think that's kind of what you're alluding to. Is you say, and you're saying it's a guess, but the end of this year, the end of next year, um, I I can't imagine McDaniel's would have done this last minute 180 if he wasn't given some sort of assurance here that maybe we're not paying enough attention to. Yeah, you know, I, I was told he was not given an assurance, but, uh, uh, you know, whether that's true or not remains, you know, remains to be seen. Uh, and as far as Belichick goes, i got to admit, it's hard for me to imagine Belichick not coaching. It's kind of like Nick Saban down in Alabama. When when I look at – when you look at Nick Saban, he, he doesn't look like a guy who's ready to retire. I mean, heck, he looks younger than guys who are – 10 year, you know, 15 years younger than him. He looks so. Uh, it's hard for me to envision Belichick not coaching, but you know, I just there's a sense that this and 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 I, I don't I don't think it's tied to Tom Brady. And it may be people say, well, yeah, he'll just go as long as Brady goes. I think it's just tied to you know, him marching the beat of his own drummer, and he's ready to do something else. I I don't think he will walk away from football. I could see Belichick becoming somebody's team president or. Uh, you know, uh, vice president of football operations and, and help running a team. Uh, but you know, how long that lasts? Uh, you know, at least probably at least a couple of years. But yeah, I don't know. I think like it's just it's just happening. interesting, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just who would yeah. you rather get a summer house with, Saban or Belichick? Only one can be your roommate, and you got to do a place in the Cape for three months. Oh. It's a, it's I I gotta kind of disqualify myself a little bit because you know I have a son who works on Coach Saban's staff down in Alabama. So, uh, but uh, I would be uh, 
Belichick, I, I know Nick. Uh, I know Nick pretty well, uh, so I would say Belichick because I do find him fascinating, and uh, I think he's as a coach. I think he's every bit or more than what he what we make him out to be as a coach. I've seen him coach at the Pro Bowl, and for those forty five minutes that he had the players on the field, I sat back and said, "Wow!" At the Pro Bowl. And I also, you know, sitting behind the bench of the AFC team as they were playing the game. I'm seeing him coach the entire game, the entire team. I'm seeing him coach the quarterback, special teams, offensive line, defense. And, you know, then you hear the the, the, the parts about him with his music and everything. Uh, uh, you know, but both are, that was a pretty good question, though, Ryan. Pretty good, pretty good question. But I'd probably have to lean towards Belichick because I, I, I feel like I know Nick better. Yeah, because I think some of the Belichick stuff is petty, and but like here's here's a concept, and I and I try to do this as often as I can. I can absolutely think somebody is the best, and then every now and then not like something that they do, and he's he's stupid. I mean, it's incredible. Like whenever you get some of those access things with him, and just the little details, right. and you know, remember when the the ball was batted out of the back of the end zone? Was it a Monday night game? Was it up in Seattle? I forget. Yeah. And and it was yeah, maybe it was six years ago because I try to remember where I'm watching a game where I was living and then like a bunch of Patriots players started tweeting out that we knew that I think it was Roosevelt Colvin who played linebacker there out of Purdue for a long time and they were like we knew right. that rule because Bill Bill taught like he's awesome and I mean this isn't breaking news on the podcast but there are little moments where I have to remind myself just how special he is and how special this entire run is in a sport that this isn't supposed to happen and. You know, despite all the other stuff, and if you hate him, I get it, and people are going to say, "Oh, Deflategate and Spygate and all those things." I just, I don't, I don't think with those things it really changed all that much. Of, I, I think this is who the guy's resume was going to be. I just do. So I don't know. Yeah, a couple, a quick, couple quick final thoughts on Belichick. When the uh, new labor agreement came in with the era of, of free agency and salary cap, nineteen ninety three, I think is the year. Everybody said it's the end of dynasties, which you know, in a way, I kind of like was sad about. You know, I like I like dynasties, uh, but guess what? We got a dynasty, and as I've been told by many, we got a dynasty in the Patriots because Bill Belichick is just basically laughing at the rest of the league because the league with owners and impatience and and the turnover, uh, he is dominating the league with his with the way you know he he coaches and conducts himself. And I, here's another reason why I know he's a great coach. The people who officiate the game, the zebras, like we, we like to call them, when they coach a Belichick game, they are edgy because they know Bill Belichick knows the rules as well or better than they do. And we've seen it in action, especially when they played the Baltimore Ravens a couple of times in the playoffs, where he is going to take a rule and he is going to push it to the envelope and probably win the argument that, that within – that rule, what they just did with the personnel and the shifting or the substitutions, he was within the rules. And uh, that's why I say he masters every part of the game and he puts it into into execution and play. Right, that was right. Because I remember Harbaugh complained about the slot and their, their alignment and then said it wasn't, and then it was like Harbaugh was actually wrong. And it was Belichick being like, no, no, this is the rule. And then to save that... Um, I, hey, I know you got to run because I, I want to finish up because I, I can't do all of this and, and turn it into this without at least talking a little bit about the Eagles in that you have the Wentz dilemma yeah. and Peterson basically saying, I'm not rushing this guy back. 
which is kind of funny because you can look at Foles and say, well, no big deal. But, I, you know, I, I, of all the years of you doing this, how, how good are you at figuring out teams that repeat or at least compete after winning a Super Bowl and teams that just can't match it? Because the Eagles should be talented enough, especially if they're getting Wentz back at some point, to compete again, which is, I agree, a much deeper NFC than AFC. But have you been able over those years to kind of feel leading up like, okay, this team is, is just, that was a one and done thing. They're emotionally, they're not the same. They can't match what last year was. They've gotten fat and happy. Like explain that process of after seeing decades of these teams try to do what the Eagles are about to try to do. Don't know that I've gotten to, to read it better. I, I will say this, that if you, if you used to talk to Tom Brady back when they would go to the three Super Bowls in four years or whatever, Mm-hmm. The Cowboys would talk about this. It, it was like, man, you're so tired. You know, that that long season combined with preseason. By the way, guys like Bill Belichick and Jimmy Johnson used to do this. Parcells used to do this. They made their players play in preseason. And sometimes they made them play in all four games of preseason. Combined with the regular season, combined with playoffs. And then these guys are just gassed. And part of it is churning your roster a little bit to bring in some new energy. You've seen Pete Carroll uh, do some of that stuff in Seattle right now. Uh, so getting a read on it, you know, as far as Philadelphia goes, I think they're good enough to get by if they don't have once the first couple games of the season. I think that uh, personally they're seeing some things that is, are, are making them hesitate, which is that Carson Wentz looks pretty darn good. And when Carson Wentz steps in a huddle right now with the rest of the team, the rest of the first unit, you see the energy, and you see him perform at a much higher level than Nick Foles in practice. And part of you has to say, well, he's the guy, except that you have a 15-year vision for Carson Wentz, and if you mess this up over two games, then you may be regretting it. Well, you will regret it the rest of your life. And that's the dilemma they're going through, and I, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, but uh, – you know, you know, Dr. James Andrews, who did not do the surgery on Carson Wentz, told me, he said, you know, everybody thinks these ACL injuries, you know, you come back, you can do it in seven or eight months now. He goes, I'm not so sure about that. But nine to 12 months puts Carson in that uh, in that range. I think the data that the Eagles have feel like, you know, it's closer to 10 months, which would mean he'd miss a couple of games. Uh, and I do think because of the talent they have, and oh, by the way, there's, you know, there's some other players who will miss the start of the season too. I think they just got to survive the first three or four games where they're two and two, and I think they're good enough to, uh, barring major injuries to other players, to, to to make another run. Mark, you're the best man. Um, think about you every now and then, and uh, I hope I hope to get to run into you at some point. Visit your old uh, well, stomping grounds in the South Bay and look me up. All right. Say hi to my ocean, will you? Say hi to my ocean. <laughs> I will. I do it every day. Just a reminder, everybody, to subscribe, rate, and review the Rosillo Show podcast on ESPN. And as we said at the top of the podcast, not going anywhere for at least the next year with ESPN. So I'm um, pretty pumped about how it's all worked out. Uh, I apologize if uh, it was a very me-centric first uh, segment of the podcast, but it was the podcast that I wanted to do last week that I just couldn't do yet. So thanks to everybody, and um, we'll hit you up soon. 